Well, today we're going to jump into a brand new study uh, that is entitled, What Moves You? And we're going to look in Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17 through 24. And we're going to kind of dive into a little bit of the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see some exciting things today as we kind of answer that question, what moves us? So Acts chapter 20 says that from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know that from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now look at verse 24. He says, but none of these things move me. But none of these things move me. So the Apostle Paul says, God has called me, God has commissioned me, and God has sent me to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I really don't know what really fully awaits me there, but this is what I do know. The Holy Spirit has testified over and over again that when I get there, there's going to be chains and tribulation and trouble. There's going to be problems, there's going to be difficulties, and there's going to be challenges. But then he makes this amazing statement. But none of these things move me. Now look at the rest of that verse. He says, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel to the gospel of the grace of God. So look at that first point on your outline. Here's the question we want to answer today and next week, and that is what moves you? What moves you? Are you driven? Look at that statement. Are you driven by pressure or are you led by the Holy Spirit? Are you driven by pressure or are you led by the Holy Spirit? One of my favorite stories that I've heard years ago that just held true in my heart, it's a true story about a man who was born in Jerusalem, born in Israel, and he grew up to become a tour guide. So he'd take tourists every day on tours of the nation of Israel. And one of the things that he would do as a part of their journey, seeing all the different sites and all the different uh, places in Jerusalem, he would always take them through the countryside and they would stop and they would look at the shepherds tending to their sheep. And he said one day as he was driving a group through the countryside, they came uh, to the field where the shepherd and the sheep were, and he says when he pulled up there and they came driving by, the shepherd was driving the sheep. He was behind the sheep with his staff, and he was driving them and driving the sheep across the field. And he said he was amazed. He said, I've grown up my entire life here. I've never seen a shepherd drive the sheep. He said, shepherds are in front of the sheep, and they lead the sheep, and they call the sheep, and the sheep come to them. And he was so shocked by what he saw that he literally stopped the tour bus. He got off the bus, walked out into the field to the shepherd, and said, sir, i got to ask you a question. He said, what are you doing? He said, I've never seen a shepherd drive the sheep. And the guy said, well, young man, that's why you're confused. He said, what do you mean confused? He said, I'm not the shepherd. I'm the butcher driving them to slaughter. And the reality is, is that either you're being driven by pressure or you're being led by the Spirit. And I want you to understand something significant today. God never drives us the Bible says in Psalms 23, David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and they know my voice, and they follow me, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. God leads us 
But Satan tries to drive us into making decisions and setting the direction of our lives. So I want to challenge you today and next Sunday about how are we making decisions and how are we setting the direction of our life. Are we allowing the enemy to drive us to slaughter? Or are we allowing God to lead us by the Holy Spirit into the places and purposes that he has for our lives? So we're going to kind of break this thing down today. We're going to talk about how Satan uses pressure to drive us into making decisions and setting the direction of our life that takes us off the course and out of the path that God really has for us. So three types of pressure. Look at that next point on your outline. So there are three types of pressure that the enemy tries to use against us. And, and the word there in that little phrase that's key is tries. Because this is what I want you to understand. You can't escape pressure. <clears throat> there is pressure in life. And we're going to look at three specific areas of pressure today. And what you're going to recognize is you cannot escape pressure. There is pressure in life. So what we have to learn how to do is we have to learn how to not yield to the pressure of the enemy, but follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's a huge thing because you're never going to come to a place in your life where there's no pressure. The only people that have no pressure on them are dead people. And they've got about six foot of dirt pushing down on them anyway, so they've got pressure too. Come on, somebody. You're never going to escape pressure. So how do we deal with pressure? That's one of the things we're going to learn today. How do I recognize the pressure of the enemy, and how do I deal with the pressure so that I'm not driven by it, but how that I am now led by the Holy Spirit so that the decisions and directions of my life are in sync with the heart and the will of God for me and for you. Amen? So let's look at that first type of pressure. The first type of pressure is the pressure of people. The pressure of people. How many know you're never going to escape people pressure, right? Every time you watch a commercial on TV, you know what that is? That's people pressure. Every time you drive by a billboard, that's people pressure. Every time you see an ad on Facebook or on Instagram and all these things are popping up, you know what that is? That's people pressure. All the pretty people, all the rich people, all the successful people, all the buff people telling you that you need to look like them and act like them and walk like them and talk like them. And if you have what I have, you'll be happy. Right? There's all kind of pressure that comes from people. But there's three specific types of pressure I want us to talk about that comes from people. There's the pressure that comes from deception, the pressure that comes from evil intentions, and the pressure that comes from compassion. Look with me in Luke chapter 6, verse 39. The Bible says, then Jesus gave this following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? If the blind lead the blind, Jesus said, they're both going to fall into the ditch. So let's talk about people pressure that comes through deception. This is what I've recognized about people that are deceived. Number one, how do you know you're deceived? You don't. You don't know you're deceived because you're deceived, right? Deceived people don't know they're deceived because they're deceived. And if every one of us in this room would be honest, there have been seasons and moments and times in our lives where we all had blind spots, right? Where we were deceived. We thought it was the right thing, but it was the wrong thing. We thought it was up, but it was really down. We thought we should have went right, but we should have went left. And we were deceived because we didn't fully understand or see the truth that God had in front of us. And this is what I've recognized about deceived people. Deceived people love to invite other people on the journey. Deceived people love to invite other people on the journey. And what happens is, is that when you're deceived and you're blinded to truth, you don't realize you're blinded to truth, and so you begin to put pressure on other people to do what you're doing, go where you're going, and act like you're acting. 
I love to talk to people, and one of the things that really fascinates me is when I see somebody that had a great level of success, and now they're in the bottom of the barrel. And we've all seen that, right? We've seen people go from financial success to poverty, from relational success to divorce and chaos, to spiritual ministries and highs, to a place where they no longer even walk through the doors of the church. And one of the things that always interests me about those types of testimonies is I always ask the same question, how did it happen? How did you get from way up here to way down here? Maybe it took a week, maybe it took a month, maybe it took five years, maybe it took ten years. But how did you digress so far to the place that you're at now? And you know what? Nine times out of ten people will tell me. Nine times out of ten people will say this. They'll say, well, I started hanging out with the wrong people. I started hanging out with the wrong people. And all of a sudden there was this pressure. Come with us. Do what we're doing. Smoke this, drink this, try this, go here, experience this. All these little things that people put on people. Now, let me just tell you something, because this is what I've recognized about deceived people. Most people, we're going to talk about evil intentions in a minute. Most people don't really have evil intentions. Most people are just deceived. And so it's not that they're getting up every day thinking that they want to destroy everybody else's life. It's just that they're getting up every day and they think they're doing it right and everybody else ought to do what they're doing. Because if I'm smoking it, you ought to smoke it. If I'm drinking it, you ought to drink it. And if I'm going here, you ought to go here. And if I'm participating in this, you ought to participate in this. And by the way, if I'm swiping the credit card, you ought to swipe the credit card. And if I'm buying a bigger house, you ought to buy a bigger house. And if I've got a newer car, you ought to have a newer car because everybody ought to live like me. And I love spiritual deception, which goes something like this. Because don't you know God wants everybody to be happy? I love that deception. No, God wants you to be holy, and if you'll be holy, you'll find joy and peace that surpasses anything happiness has. Because the Bible says that sin has pleasure for a season. Sin will make you happy for a little while, and then the fun wears off. Right? But there is a joy in Jesus that lasts through the storms and adversities of life. And God says if you'll be holy, you'll find something better than happiness. You'll tap into a joy that will sustain you through every season of your life. And so we recognize there's this pressure that comes by deception. And so people that are deceived invite us into, encourage us to do things, and they think in their mind it's the right thing or the best thing or the good thing, or at least it's not an immoral thing. And before we know it, if we're not careful, we'll yield to that pressure. And we'll go where we shouldn't go. We'll do what we shouldn't do. We'll partake of some things we shouldn't partake of, all because there was somebody pushing, inviting, compelling us to come. Now, the second element of people pressure is evil intentions. I want you to look with me in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18 says, This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me only with thousands. Next, they'll make him their king. So from that time on, the Bible says, Saul, this is King Saul and who would be King David, kept a jealous eye on David. And 1 Samuel 23 says, And when, Saul, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, Saul plotted evil against him. Saul did not only plot evil against him, Saul threw spears at him. <laughs> Saul's, Saul rallied an army, and they hunted David down like a dog. I mean, this was a guy with evil intentions. Now, when you read the Scripture, it came out of a jealous eye. It comes out of an envious eye. It comes out of a covetous eye. And sometimes, sometimes there's people pressure that comes from evil intentions. Somebody just don't like you for whatever reason. I can't imagine why they wouldn't like you. I know most of y'all folks, y'all are wonderful people. 
But every now and then, you'll meet somebody that just don't like you. And maybe they're jealous of you. Maybe they're envious of you. Maybe they're offended against you. And all of a sudden, sometimes they have evil intentions and they try to take you out. But this is what I've recognized about modern day warfare. Most of the people that have evil intentions against you are not throwing spears at you like Saul did. Most of the people that have evil intentions against you will pat you on the back and smile in your face and then walk behind your back and tell lies, gossip, discord, strife, chaos. They'll look at you and smile and they'll walk behind your back and stab you in the back. They use manipulation, they use lies, they use gossip, they use all these things to try to take you out because for whatever reason you got what they want and now there's this pressure of evil intention. Now let me, say why, let me tell you why this is a pressure. This is a pressure because this is one of the greatest traps of the enemy. This is one of the, the pressures that Satan uses to drive us into a place of bondage. Because this is what is our natural, not spiritual, but a carnal reaction. A carnal reaction to people that are lying and backbiting and backstabbing you is that we want to treat them the way they treat us. We want to fight fire with fire, right? You're going to lie about me, I'm going to lie about you. You're going to run behind my back, I'm going to run behind your back. You're going to post that about me, I'm going to post that about you. We're going to have us a little social media war, right? That's the natural tendency. That's that carnal flesh on the inside. And the devil will push us. Oh, they're lying about you. They're saying that about you. They're talking to people about you. They're going behind. And all of a sudden, we feel this pressure that we got to defend ourselves. But Jesus takes us a whole new route. As a matter of fact, he gives us the remedy to overcome that pressure. He says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus said, bless your enemies and pray for those who curse you, and do good to those who are against you. And you know why Jesus tells us that? Jesus tells us that because he understands there's a real pressure to, to retaliate against other people because we got to defend ourselves. I want to tell you something. Your greatest defense is Jesus. Your greatest defense is that you refuse to lower yourself to the standard of those who are throwing mud at you and those who are lying about you and those who are gossiping about you. You want to rise up above all the junk and filth that's happening around you, every evil intention, then decide you're going to bless and not curse and you're going to pray for them and not despise them. And when you pray for them, don't pray that God will judge them. Pray that God will bless them. See, we, we, we pray for our enemies sometimes, right? God, smite them down. I've been in some prayer groups where I've heard those prayers. We smiting our enemies. And every time you smite your enemy, you heap coals of fire on your own head. Jesus on the cross gave the ultimate example. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The pressure to retaliate that comes from evil intentions from other people. The last one is the hardest one. Let me just be honest with you. This last element about people pressure is the hardest. It's compassion. Acts 21. Paul again says, Several days later, a man named Agabus, who had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judah. He came over and took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet with it. And then he said, The Holy Spirit declares... 
so that the owner of this belt will be, belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the local believers, so this is the church and the believers there, we all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. And when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, they couldn't move him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. See, one of the greatest people pressures to overcome and resist is the people pressure that comes from compassion. See, there are people that love you, and there are people that care about you. And there are people that are genuinely concerned for you. And when you love somebody and you care about somebody and you have compassion for somebody, you want to rescue them from pain. Paul had a word from God that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. Everywhere Paul went, the Holy Ghost testified, when you get to Jerusalem, chains, tribulation, persecution, and problem is going to be waiting on you there, Paul. And when the church heard it, you know what they did? Out of compassion, out of a genuine love for Paul, they begged him, please, please, please don't go to Jerusalem. We don't want you to suffer. I want to tell you something today. This is a revelation maybe for many of us in this room. The goal of Christianity is not that you and I would live an easy life. That's not the goal. The goal of Christianity is that we would do the will of God, that we would fulfill the purpose of God, that we would advance the kingdom of God at all cost. At all cost. And the reality is simply this. Doing the will of God does not mean your life will get easier. It may mean your life's going to get really, 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 really hard. Boy, that's good preaching, ain't it? Aren't y'all glad y'all came to church today? God's will for Jesus was a cross. God's will for Paul was prison and chains and torment. That was the will of God. That was the purpose of God. That was the plan of God. And praise God for men who refuse to be moved away by the insecurities of their own flesh and by the persecution of their own life. Praise God for men that we're reading about today that set their face toward Jerusalem as Jesus did and refuse to be moved away. Now, every day and every path doesn't have to be hard. There are luxuries and there are benefits and there are blessings and there are privileges and there are perks from loving God, serving God, and doing the will of God. But I want you to understand the goal of Christianity is not that we can get to a place in Christ where there is no pressure and everything is easy. The goal of Christianity is that we would advance the kingdom of God and give ourselves up every day for the sake of His kingdom, whatever that looks like. If it means living in a mansion, then let me live in a mansion. If it means going to a jail, then let me go to jail. Whatever that looks like, let me do it and refuse to be moved away. And so one of the greatest challenges we have is that many times when we start to do what God has called us to do, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. And the people that love us want to rescue us. When Samantha, our youngest daughter, uh, when she graduated high school in May of that year, she moved in August of that year to Crown Point, Indiana to go to a Bible college whose goal and emphasis was to raise up and release missionaries all around the world. 
The last nine weeks she was in Bible college, she was in Thailand on the other side of the world where we couldn't touch her and we couldn't help her and we couldn't reach her. And the hardest thing for me and especially her mama was to release her to go to a place that could possibly take her away from us for the rest of her life. But we knew that was God's next step for her life. We knew that was the word of the Lord for that season. She didn't end up a missionary in Thailand. She's a youth pastor in Arab, Alabama. Come on, somebody. Praise you, Jesus. But we did not know that when we released her. And everything in us, because we loved her, wanted to say, oh, baby, come on. Don't go. Don't go. Just stay home. But we couldn't. Not because we didn't want to, but because we knew that the Lord had a word for her life. And that was not the end of her story, but that was a step in her story that she had to take. And so when people that love you, many times they'll try to draw you back because they know it's going to be hard. And they know it's going to be difficult. And they know that everything that you've envisioned ain't always going to work out the way you've envisioned it. And nobody gets to the end of the prize without going through some stuff. And so it's that pressure of compassion that's one of the greatest challenges to overcome. That's why it's significant that you have a word from God. Amen? Look at that next type of pressure. There's a pressure of temptation. And this pressure comes from the lust of our flesh and the attacks of the enemy. James chapter 1 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation, and afterwards they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember that when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from where? Our own desires which entice us and drag us away. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The purpose of temptation is to draw us away from the path and the plan that God has for our lives. And so we are tempted to, first of all, the Bible says, through our own desires. How many of you in here have ever been born again? Anybody been born again? Come on, somebody. Anybody glad to be born again? Well, if you've been born again, then guess what? The Bible says you have now become a partaker of the divine nature of God so that you will not experience the corruption that comes in this world through lust. And so when you got born again, you went from having a sin nature to now you have a divine nature where you now desire to do the things that please God. I was 15 years old when I got born again, and I got up that next morning, and I had a genuine desire to tell other people about Jesus. I mean, just one night of getting born again, I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I wanted to share with my friends what God had done for me. Why? Because from that moment on, there was a new nature living within me that desired to please God. Amen? But... As long as we're in this body, we have this stuff called flesh. And the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are the things that the enemy uses against us to draw us away from the purpose and the path that God has for us. And as I was just praying about this this last week, the Lord said, Keith, think about the lust of the flesh like this. The lust of the flesh is I feel. So when I feel hungry, I want to feed me. When I feel lonely, I want a relationship. When I feel angry, I want to hurt somebody. 
right? And if you're not careful, you'll allow the lust of your flesh to dictate your life. And you'll yield to every feeling. Well, I just, I just feel depressed. Well, I just feel discouraged. Well, I just feel like nobody cares. Guess what? Here's some great good news today. You don't have to listen to your feelings. Feelings are important. God gave us the capacity and the ability to feel. But the devil will use the lust of our flesh, the feelings of our flesh, to cause us to make decisions and set direction in a way that does not please God. And then there's the lust of the eye. Think about the lust of the eye. And that is that I see it and I want it. I see it and I want it. That's where covetous and envy and jealousy comes from. And because we see something, we want something. And we're constantly bombarded with all these things that we see that we want. Now, there's nothing wrong with stuff. But what if I allow the stuff that I see to get in the way of the purpose that God has for me? Let's just be honest. Many people cannot financially serve God because they gave into the lust of their eye and bought stuff they couldn't afford to buy because they wanted it. I want it, so I'm going to swipe the credit card. I want it because I'm going to get a loan. I want it, so I'm going to second mortgage the house. I want it, so I'm going to go borrow the money. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the lust of our flesh, what we see and what we want, to drive us off the path that God has and literally handcuff us so that we can't spiritually, financially, or relationally serve God because we're so bound. Now, the third one is the pride of life. And the Lord just said this to me. He said, Keith, just imagine pride is so I, I feel, I see, and I want, and now I need. I, I just, I, I, need, I need to be heard. Pride, I, I'm, you know, pride says I need to be heard, so I'm going to scream and I'm going to yell louder and everybody else screams and yells because I'm important and you need to hear what I got to say. I need to be heard. I need the last word. I mean, come on. How many times have you been a, in a little heated conversation and the Holy Spirit says, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, but you say, I, I just need, I need to say this. I need, I need to be heard. You know what that is? That's the pride of life. That's the pride of life. And when you look in Matthew chapter 4, you remember the temptation of Jesus? Jesus was tempted in all three of those points. And Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says this, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Have you ever wondered why in the world would God lead him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? We know, we just read, God doesn't tempt anyone with sin. So why would God lead Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Let me give you an insight right here. Hebrews chapter 2 says this. It says that Jesus is our faithful high priest who has been tempted in every point as we are, yet without sin, so that he can now give us grace and strength to overcome temptation and walk in victory over sin. God led Jesus in the wilderness to face temptation so that he could fulfill his purpose, which is to be a faithful high priest, so that when you go to God with a temptation and a struggle and the pressure of this world pushing on you, he has been there where you are. He knows exactly what it feels like, looks like, tastes like, smells like, and he knows how to overcome it because he endured it without sin. You remember the three temptations of Jesus? The Bible says he had fasted for 40 days and he was hungry, so the devil said, turn these stone into bread. That's the lust of the flesh. I feel hungry. I need to eat. He took him up on the top of the, of the mountain and he showed him the kingdoms of the world. 
He showed him all the kingdoms of the world, the Bible says. And then he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these. That's the lust of the eye. He showed him all the things that he could have. Don't you want it, Jesus? Don't you want it? And then last but not least, you remember he took him up on the temple? And he said, he quoted the Bible to Jesus. Don't you love it when the devil quotes Scripture? He quoted the Bible and says, the Scripture says... That if you, that God would watch over you and give his angels charge over you so that you won't even dash your foot against the stone. So if you are the son of God, throw yourself off this temple and the angels will catch you. That's the pride of life. Just prove, Jesus, prove that you are who you say you are. You say you're the son of God, prove it. Think about how hard that must have been. I mean, when you're, if you're Jesus and he's the devil and you're like, devil, let me show you. Whoo. Angels from everywhere catching him before he ever hits the ground. But Jesus knew something. Jesus knew he could not give in to that lust of his flesh, that pride of life, just to prove to the devil that he was who he said he was. Understand something. Satan uses the lust of our flesh and the pressure of temptation to try to offer us a shortcut to the promise that God has. Pastor Mike Ware last Saturday made this amazing statement talking about the temptation of Christ. He said when Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world, he was actually offering him what God was going to give him, right? Because if you remember Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has now been given unto me. God was intended to give Jesus complete authority over everything in heaven and on earth. And now the devil comes to him and tries to offer him all the kingdoms of the earth if he would just bow down and worship him. And this is what Pastor Mike said. He said, Satan tried to offer Jesus a shortcut that would bypass the cross and still try to get him to the promise. Let me give you a great revelation. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts, no shortcuts to a happy marriage, no shortcuts to godly children, no shortcuts to financial success, no shortcuts to life-giving ministry. There are no shortcuts. And the devil will use temptation to tempt you to take a shortcut. Let's still go where God's calling you to go, he'll say. Let's just not go the hard way. It shouldn't take you three years. Let's do it in three months. And all of a sudden, the pressure of temptation begins to build. And if we're not careful, we'll be driven by that pressure instead of led by the Spirit to do what God's called us to do. Look at the last point of pressure. There's the pressure of circumstances. This is huge. And this pressure comes from physical, financial, and relational challenges. Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul again, he's in a ship in the middle of a storm. They've been in the storm for 14 days. An angel has already appeared to Paul, giving him a word. Here's the word. If everybody stays on the ship, you'll live. If you get off the ship, you'll die. If you stay on the ship, you'll live. If you jump ship, you'll die. So look at the scripture here. And on the 14th day of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea, the sailors, since land was near, they dropped a weighted line, found the water was 120 foot deep, but a little later they measured again, found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid. They would soon be driven against the rocks of the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. And then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboats as though they were going to put out anchors in the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and to the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay on board. You'll all die 
unless you stay on board. The pressure of circumstances. Paul had this word from God, and he knew God's word was true because God had went before him. He wasn't behind him, driving him as a taskmaster. He was leading him as a shepherd. And here's what the devil does. The devil uses the fear of circumstances, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the what if. Well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't come through? What if nobody still supports you? What if nobody really cares? What if he uses the fear of what might happen to drive us into making decisions that cause us to jump ship? How many times have I seen people say, God's called me to this, and then life got hard, and they jumped ship? They jumped ship. Let me tell you something. When you get a word from God, let go of everything but that word. Let go of everything but that word, because the word of the Lord will stand when everything else falls. And the truth is, how many bad financial decisions have we in this room made because we felt pressure? How many bad financial decisions have we made because we felt pressure? How many bad relational decisions have we made because we felt pressure. How many bad physical decisions, decisions about our health, decisions about our home, decisions about the stuff that we own, have we made because we felt this pressure? And all of a sudden, we were afraid. Let me just say it to you. Any decision you make out of fear, worry, or anxiety is the wrong decision. Any decision you make out of fear, worry, or anxiety is the wrong decision. God is not driving you by pressure. He is leading you by the Holy Spirit. Now look at this last point, and we're going to wrap up here today. Not all pressure is bad. As a matter of fact, God uses pressure to refine us, to perfect us, and to draw out of us the treasures He has placed within us. You can't escape pressure. There's always going to be the pressure of people, the pressure of temptation, and the pressure of circumstances. That's never going to go away on planet Earth. But here's what you got to recognize. I can't be driven by pressure, but God will use pressure. Right? What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. What the enemy meant to destroy me, God will use for my edification. And God will take pressure, and He will refine me. And God will take pressure, and He will perfect me. He will mature me and grow me up. God will take pressure and draw out of me the treasures that He's placed on the inside of me. There's some integrity in you. There's an anointing in you. There's some gifts and talents on the inside of you that have not yet been manifested. And let me tell you why. Because many times when we get under pressure, we look for a way of escape instead of for the grace to endure and come out on the other side. See, we got this easy-minded mentality. If I serve God, it'll be easy. If I serve God, it won't be hard. If I serve God, there won't be any pressure. Wrong, wrong, wrong. If I serve God, there will be pressure, but the pressure won't destroy me. The pressure will perfect me and draw out of me the good things that God has put in me. So the key is recognizing not all pressure is bad pressure but that God can take that pressure if I'll stay the course. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And then after you stand, withstand against every scheme of the enemy. And having done all that you can do, Paul says stand, and then he says, therefore, stand. So just stand, stand, and 
can stand. Just keep standing. Keep moving. Keep pressing. Keep pushing toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and refuse to be moved away from what God has spoken over your life. Because what the enemy meant to destroy you, God will use to draw out of you every good thing that he has. Amen. Let's bow our heads today. I want to challenge you today as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you know you're a child of God, you know you've been born again. You've got a new nature and a new heart and a new desire. I want to encourage you today to make a decision. Let's draw a spiritual line in the sand that says I'm going to refuse to be moved by pressure. I'm not going to allow the pressure of this world to alter the direction and the decisions that I'm making in God. You need to settle that right now. Some of you are in a place of pressure, and you need to just stand today. You need to draw a line in the sand and say, today I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand fast in what God has called me to do. I'm going to stay the course, and I'm going to refuse. I'm going to refuse to move away from what God has for me. Like the Apostle Paul, none of these things will move me. Pastor Keith, it's hard. Let the, let the pressure draw it out of you. Let the pressure perfect you. Let the pressure manifest the good things that God has put in you. You won't die. You will live, and you will declare the glory of God. You will live, and you will declare His glory. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is maybe you're here today, and maybe you realize, maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Keith, I'm not a Christian. I've never been born again. I've never came to that place where my heart genuinely desired to do what pleases God. I've always lived out of that self-centered nature. But today, I want to be a new creation in Christ. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe He rose again on the third day. And I want to ask Him to forgive me of my sins, be my Lord and my Savior, and I want to surrender my life to Him today. I want to be born again. I want that new nature you talked about. If that's you right now, I just want you to stand to your feet. Just a simple act of faith. I want to be born again today and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, go ahead and just stand. I want to pray with you this morning. This is the life-changing moment for you today. I want to be born again. If that's you, stand to your feet right now. We're about to close in prayer, but I'm going to give you just five more seconds. If that's you, stand. Well, Father, we thank you today for the Spirit and the Word. We thank you for the life and breath of your Spirit over us today. I thank you that we are not being driven. We are being led by your Spirit. And we give you glory and honor today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today.